Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, we are talking about the 2001 Japanese horror comedy musical, The Happiness of the Katakuris, directed by Takashi Miike. I just called um, Mike. Yeah, it looks like Mike. <laughs> yeah. Written by Kakumi Yamagashi and starring a cast of people who have all done a lot of work, but I've never heard of them because, well, I'm not a Japanese film and TV fan. There's a lot to unpack here. This is a first for us in a couple of, a couple of ways. It is our very first foreign language film. This yeah. movie is filmed entirely in Japanese with English subtitles. Yeah. It is our first musical. <laughs> it is the first movie told from the, well, it's the first movie that we've reviewed, told from the perspective of a very, very, very young child. Yeah. I think that's what makes this movie difficult to wrap your head around at first because we see movies told from a child's perspective uh but it's always told by the child after they've grown up and they're looking back on it this isn't that this movie is told from the perspective of about a four-year-old child the way a four-year-old child would tell this story everybody's acting extremely extra like the over the top like hamming it up and like it, it, a lot of stuff they're doing and saying don't make sense, but it would if you were like, yeah, a four or five-year-old little girl. Exactly. And I, not imagine, to jump it, ahead or anything, but that's the only way the ending of this movie makes any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of parts where it just goes completely off script or something. And it just, it, it devolves into like a weird claymation music video. Right. It's kind of disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very disturbing at bit. points yeah um, especially in the beginning yeah uh, movie stars kenji sawada as masao katakuri he appeared in martial arts action films mostly made for tv films in the 70s and 80s his last acting credit was in 2006 five years after this movie came out next we have keiko matsuzaka as Terue Katakuri. He was been a very prolific actor over the last 50 years, known for The Sting of Death, The Gate of Youth, and Lovers Lost. After this film that we're talking about today, she successfully made the switch from the big screen to the small screen, and most of her career since 01 has been on television. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. I mean, until 2001, the majority of her acting credits, almost all of her acting credits had been for movies. Then she made this movie and almost all of her credits after this movie have been for television. Uh, we have Shinji Takeda as Masayuki Katakuri, known for Taboo, about a gay samurai militia. Cairo, uh, about spirits invading people via the internet 
and Cromarty High the movie, a satire about a high school with punks, robots, and a gorilla. That sounds awesome. It does. We might, like. need to, we might need to look into that one. Yeah, like the Japanese, they'll just take shit out of a hat and just put it into a movie. <laughs> <laughs> they'll make it work, you know. I mean, it's not like they're just like just their imagination is like unlimited. Next, we have Tetsuro Tanba as Grandpa Jinpei Katakuri, known for You Only Live Twice and Three Outlaw Samurai. He was active as an actor right up until his death in 2006. This is the only movie we've covered so far with a Bond character in it. Yeah. I, I thought he looked familiar and stuff when I was watching this movie. But yeah. yeah. And we have Naomi Nishida as Shizue Katakuri, known for Godzilla 2000 Millennium, The Secret Garden, and Haunted School 3. She has mainly appeared in TV shows and made for TV movies. One other thing's notable about this movie, Jesse. This is the 10th movie we've reviewed. Oh, yeah? This is it. This is number 10. 70% yeah. of podcasts don't make it past their 10th episode. And uh, in case anybody was betting on that, we already have three more in the works. Bet it all on black. Every bit of it. All right. So let's break this down. Like we said, the story is told from the point of view of the youngest category. And uh, just like last time, I don't speak Japanese either. So I'm going to butcher some names. Sorry. I'm going to refer to people as like uh, abstract concepts like daughter, mother. Like you know, I'm not going to say their names because I don't want to ruin them. But <laughs> I, I'm sure I, I, you know who I'm talking about. Yep. So it's gonna be, yeah. So the movie opens with the young woman sitting in a restaurant. And there are a group of hikers walking through this fine dining restaurant. The hats, the scarves, the backpacks, the walking sticks, walking through a fine dining restaurant. Yeah, it looks like a bunch of like, I don't know, like old ladies, like they have a hiking club. You know, yeah, like almost like mall walkers. You remember mall yeah. walkers? It's like mall walkers, but it's like in a Japanese countryside. It's exactly yeah. what mall walkers. <laughs> so... This young lady is delivered a bowl of soup, and she is so excited about this bowl of soup. This is the best bowl of soup she's ever seen in her life, judging by her expression. It looks Probably like creamy chicken. Yeah, but it's like in a fancy bowl, and they got like, you know, they're like this really a fancy restaurant. very shiny spoon. She can see her reflection yeah. in the spoon. <laughs> Mirror spoon. That's crazy. Well, she tries to get a spoonful of soup, but there's something in that bowl, something she wasn't expecting. Um, and she pokes around it with her spoon, can't get it out of the bowl. So she stabs it with her fork and she pulls out a, an imp. Little yeah, guy. Yeah, it's like a fair, it's like weird looking, like, uh, like, I don't know, like Japanese folklore imp or fairy, some poor spirit. It's gross looking. Yeah. Super skinny body. Uh, great big head, big Hummel figurine eyes, little curly top knot of hair and some wings. And it's just hanging out in her soup for some reason. Well, this freaks her out. This is where we switch to claymation for the very first time. And yeah, it's jarring. Yeah, we make the switch to claymation. The girl starts screaming. She's horrified that there is an imp in her bowl of soup. But when she screams, the imp notices 
her uvula and the little <laughs> hangy down thing in the back of your throat. The dangle, yeah. Yep. And it looks like a heart. So the imp falls in love with it and then decides to take it and just reaches in her mouth and rips her uvula out. And <laughs> he flies off kind of like a heli, like her uvula is a helium balloon, though. He's got wings, not really using them. It's more like he's holding on to her uvula and it's floating away with him. Yeah, I don't. That, that was awkward. I didn't know if it was like really bad stop motion animation or if that was the intent to like see that that made him sore. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's weird. Well, eventually the imp lands and catches her uvula and eats it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and as soon as he finishes eating it, he gets eaten by a crow. Yeah, the crow just rips it apart. There's a uh, ragdoll monster watching all of this. Looks like a burlap sack with a big zipper for a mouth and button eyes. One eye is missing completely. The other one's kind of dangling. But it notices this crow has good eyes. So it kills the crow and steals the crow's eye. The crow gets killed by the monster who has Freddy Krueger claws. Little ragdoll monsters got Freddy Krueger claws or uh, Wolverine claws, uh, however you prefer. It pops out and like it just starts slashing the crow up and just tears it to pieces. Yeah, that that makes no sense to me whatsoever when that happens. I thought like this entire sequence doesn't fit anywhere in this movie, and I don't understand it. Maybe I don't know if it's a, a cultural reference that I just don't get or if it's just some artistic statement that the director wanted to throw in here because it wouldn't stand on its own. Well, I think it's both because it's like you have that little alien creature, the the fairy thing, right? And uh, it gets killed, right? And then immediately after it gets killed by that crow, that creature just comes to life and kills it, right? So I think like, and and then it shows the the grandpa now I'm, I get ahead a little bit. The grandpa likes like killing crows, so I figure it's like uh, this family's curse. Like it, they they go through a run of bad luck, and they end up with this hotel at the bottom of this mountain. So they're like constantly cursed because, like I don't know, these angels keep on these fairies keep on getting killed every time. Like I don't know, their grandfather kills a crow, it like makes him more in like uh, bad luck because you'll see. Throughout this movie, this this family is cursed. Definitely cursed. Absolutely. After the ragdoll monster kills the crow, we see a picture of the crow on a poster that's being blown around by the wind. And it kind of crumples up on its own into the shape of an egg. We see a snake come down out of the tree and eat the egg. A vulture grabs the snake, kills the snake, and feeds it to its baby vultures. Yeah, like it's... Uh... As the birds grab the snake, the baby birds, that egg pops out of the snake's mouth and it becomes another one of these little fairy things. Right, right. The the dead snake vomits up the egg, the egg hatches, and an imp comes out. And then we see the vulture crap on an old man's head and he throws a piece of firewood. Now he is something else with this firewood. Yeah. All throughout the movie, he is killing vultures left and right with this firewood. We see the firewood fly, and it it nails the vulture, and he sends the dog to go recover it. Yeah, it's 
it's weird how it throws it because it's like it's totally slow mo, but he's like he knows it's gonna hit it, you know. It's like he cheers it on and stuff like a magic trick. And as soon as he does it, he sends his dog to go eat the the crow like right. every time. Well, the dog runs off to fetch the dead bird, and we see Yuri, uh, the little bitty girl, burying her dead goldfish and theorizing about what makes up a happy family. This is where we introduce the members of the family, and this entire family has all failed in one way or another. Yeah. Her grandpa, Masao, sold shoes in a department store until he was laid off. Looking for something else to do after he was laid off, he took his severance money from the department store and bought a a house to turn into a bed and breakfast at the foot of Mount Fuji. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like they own like a couple Airbnbs at the bottom of this mountain, you know. And then they... the problem yep. with the with this location, in addition to the road not actually existing yet is it's built on top of a landfill. Yeah. (laughs) And as we get later into this movie, you'll see it's probably an active landfill. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Like, uh, they they see, they throughout the movie, they keep on seeing, uh, like, news reports or, like, uh, commercials for this other place that's really popular. Right. It's just down, and it's, like, on the highway and stuff. So, like, that's the place everybody wants to go. Yeah. And this is like a, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's like a cursed, like, uh, I don't know, it's just dreary. It looks gross. There's like trash all over the place. Everything's rusted and like kind of like, you know, second rate, I guess you'd say. But the road that was promised when he bought it still hasn't been built. And as a result, they've had zero guests the entire time they've been operating this place. Her grandmother, Terue, Met and married Masao when they both worked at the department store. She was a sales associate. He was working as a sales associate in the shoe department. And they fell in love and got married. Her mom, Shizue, is fighting with her uncle, Masayuki, Shizue's brother. She says she made, he made fun of her for being divorced. But her brother says that she falls in love with just about any man she sees. Yeah, it's... Uh, what is civil rivalry? You know, it's like uh, you're, you know, you're a hoodlum, and you know, you y'all, you bring shame on this family and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, well, you know, you're a single mom, and you fall for any dude because you're trying to, like, you know, right? Just a- like, just like any siblings, they know exactly the spots that hurt the most, and they're gonna poke those spots. Oh yeah, yeah. Her uncle Masayuki was a stockbroker who got fired for doing something illegal. Not sure what that was, but we see a bunch of folks in suits chasing him through a warehouse. Yeah, it's like one or two cops, and then there's like a bunch of other people. And yeah, it's like a quick like little chase scene that happens like in one sentence. Now, reminder here that this story is told by an unreliable narrator. So there's no telling what actually happened. All we know is that Masayuki was in some kind of trouble with the law. Yeah. Her great grandpa, Jinpei, lives an easy life of telling lies and being selfish and being a dead eye with the firewood throwing. Yeah, he's typical, like, uh, crazy old grandpa. I like him. He's probably one of my characters. Him and the, uh, well, we'll get into that guy later, but yeah, grandpa. (laughs) 
Well, everyone's discouraged by the lack of guests, and Masayuki says he isn't doing any more work until a guest shows up. Um, like, what's the point, you know? Exactly. Masao tries to encourage him by explaining all the hard work they've put into this, and it's going to pay off because they've been so dedicated and worked so hard. They will get the, the payoff that they deserve. And he's going to prove that it's not as bad as they think it is because they've got this wonderful swing and I'm going to swing on it. Look, it's fun. And oh, it's that it's that desperation kind of see, isn't this awesome? And it's he's yeah. just about to cry while he's saying it. It's, it. He's trying to sell it, sell it to himself and not so much his family. But like he's going under the guise as he's trying to sell, you know, it to his family. Like, you know, it, it comes off yeah. like. He's like, oh, come on, you guys. All we got to do is this. You know, we're going to have a fun time and everything's going to be all right. He's, he's every bit, if not more discouraged than they are, but he's trying to keep them on board with this thing. And failing miserably. But And the reason he's trying to keep them on board with it, honestly, is they don't have anything else. If, they, if this fails, there's nothing for them to fall back on. Yeah. But he, he swings so hard on the damn swing, the swing breaks, and he ends up in a well or something. Yeah, the swing breaks. He goes over the fence, off a cliff, into the lake. <laughs> Again, unreliable narrator. So who knows what actually happened? <laughs> yeah. Funny shit, though, man. It's just out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, then we see the hikers from the restaurant show up, and it looks like they might stay at the bed and breakfast. Until a lunar, uh, a solar eclipse occurs and completely freaks them out. Yeah, they start like, I don't know, chanting weird stuff. One starts having a fit and like starts getting down on the ground and starts crying and like kissing the ground. Oh, yeah. So over the top superstitious uh, panic here because of an eclipse. Now. We've got really good at predicting eclipses, but apparently this one came out of nowhere and just freaked people out. Also, they're like on a spiritual retreat. And I guess, yeah, like something like that would probably like mess you up if you're like on some kind of hippie retreat. Right. And the unexpected solar eclipse happens. You're like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, that's that can't be right. Yeah, we're going to go get in touch with the universe. Holy crap, the universe just ate the sun. Yeah. Run away. (laughs) So they're not going to stay here. But we do get our opening credits here. We get our opening credits followed by the family sitting down to dinner. And everybody's there except the dad, Masao. He's off working. There's also a monsoon. Or some kind of really bad... Yeah, it's it's like, yeah, while I was doing the credits, like the wind picks up and shit, it like kind of came in with that uh, solar eclipse. Right. And it, it starts raining like all cats and dogs. Yeah. So they're all sitting down here, and they've got a big old pot of soup, and I, I can't lie, the soup looks really good. Yeah. The entire family's there, except Masao, and somebody's not happy about having to eat this soup. That's when Grandpa Jinpei explains that stews give you energy, and that's why sumo wrestlers eat them. <laughs> the whole time, though, the little girl is just like staring at the deer head on the wall. Like, just yeah. totally fixated. Everybody else is like chowing down. 
looks like Grandpa Jinpei is having sake for dinner and nothing else. Yeah. It, it takes like one little piece of meat out of the stew and puts it in his bowl. And But yeah, he's got like two little sake bottles over there to the side. He's he's having a good liquid lunch or dinner. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, the little girl is staring at this deer head and she asks, where is the deer's body? And Grandpa Jinpei explained that a man with a rifle shot the deer and ate the body. But something unscripted happened here, I think. And a little bit of food came flying out of Grandpa Jinpei's mouth. And Masayuki just completely lost it. He completely broke. He's laughing so hard he can barely talk. But they kept rolling. They just stuck with this cut for some reason. And it kind of makes it seem a little more real, except that his laughter is way over the top. Yeah, it's a little forced. I don't know. I think they, they did that intentionally because to make them, because the points when they're not in a musical mode, it seems more like day-to-day life. You know, it seems boring. Right. And when they go mode, like the makeup's on point, their costumes are on point, the production value goes way up. Yeah. You know, it's really weird. So I like, I think they did certain like little things like that, like didn't have like a script, like they didn't set a script, like they improvised their dialogue, like certain scenes, you know, it, because it, it does seem kind of like on Adult Swim when they improvise their stuff, trying to make it seem like it's, uh, yeah, you know, unscripted but it, it still comes off kind of scripted and stuff especially that guy on the news when they're watching the news oh my god well little yuri decides that the deer isn't dead it's just trapped inside the wall and this is when we go to the news and we see a newsman talking about this competing bed and breakfast uh, that you had mentioned earlier where they have farm animals helping to carry luggage and do jobs around the around the place apparently the pigs all decided that they could be sausage or they could wash dishes. So they decided to wash dishes. Again, this story is told from the perspective about a, of about a four-year-old kid. Yeah. And as they're watching, a fly lands on the reporter's face and crawls up his nose and it never comes out. No, it eats his brain, man. He just starts having... <laughs> He's freaking out because this bug is crawling around up his nose, but he won't stop giving his report. That's, that's professionalism right there. I guess. I guess. <laughs> there was a news reporter here in Nashville that on one of her very first days on the job here, there was a winter storm and she was out reporting on it. And during a live shot, the snot just started running <laughs> and well, she didn't point stop. Point. She just kept talking. It was, it was pretty bad, but she kept going. Oh. And this is the same thing, except this went up his nose instead. Let's cut down. Yeah. <laughs> if you put a clip of that, man, put it on YouTube. It's what on it? YouTube. Oh, it is? Yeah. I'll send you a link to it. It's, it's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. I love those things. I love like uh, <laughs> that and like public access tv or like probably some of the coolest stuff right like video clip wise by tv yeah well she's way changes the channel to a singing drag queen it's the same reporter except he's in drag now and saying about them bones i have no yeah. idea what this is it's it doesn't make any sense at all what's even weird i don't think i mean it is a guy in drag 
but I think in, in universe, like in canon, it's actually a chick. Like, cause they say something, it's like, I thought that actress was the same age. And it's like, yeah, she aged really badly. Right. And uh, it's singing some weird thing, like Dim Bones. And it looks like, uh, like American Idol or something. Like it's a live music performance or something in front of a crowd. Yeah. It, it's pretty bizarre. Yeah. Then the power goes out and we see somebody walking toward the house in the pouring rain. And I mean, it is a gully washer. It is really coming down hard. Oh, yeah. His clothes are soaked. Soaked. This guy won't be dry for three weeks. (laughs) Inside the house, Masao lights a match and scares everybody. Remember, he wasn't at the table. He just appeared when the power went out. The dog alerts them that somebody's at the door and they go and open the door and here stands a guy with an umbrella during a hurricane. (laughs) Next thing we see, he's inside. All of his clothes are gone and he's got a towel wrapped around his waist as he's being checked into a room. Yeah. We see him writing his name on the guest book, but I couldn't tell you what his name was. Yeah. And then... After that, like they hand him like a like I don't know like the the father hands him like a shirt, you know. It's like here we got your stuff in the dryer. Yeah, Grandpa Jinpei brings him some clothes, some of his clothes that the guy can wear until his get dry. They get him checked into a room. They hand him his room key. It's on a big plastic rod, just like like a gas station restroom key, maybe. Yeah, or like a hall pass or something, but yeah. uh. It, it does this weird thing when he's going up the stairs. It it goes to the camera. It looks to the family downstairs in the waiting room where they get checked in. Yeah. They're and all they gathered go, around at the base of the stairs watching him because this is their very first ever guest. Yeah. But it does that like on throughout the movie. Like every time they get like, you know, a customer that's something's not right with this customer. It does that thing where they're like, oh, and then it looks down at them and they're like all there and they're like, What's going on there? And it goes back to that customer. And it's like, I like how they do that. It makes it extra creepy. Yeah. So in his room, we see the guest sitting at the desk with some sniffles. Yeah, We've got some CG snot. He couldn't just sniff. We got to have the cartoon snot. It looks like the abyss. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine if, if snot had glitter in it. Yeah. Or you, you had a booger that looked like the T-1000. <laughs> and we get our first musical number here. The guest, we never, I, we never get his name. He's singing about depression and loss until Masayuki arrives with his beer. Yeah. And the guest asks him, if you knew that this was your last night alive, what would you do? And Masayuki just looks at him like, you're weird. Yeah. And like, leaves. It's pretty bizarre. I don't know. The number, like, the guy didn't see it. The guy bringing the beer didn't see it. But in the musical number, uh, yeah, he does, like, this whole, like, uh, poetic, like, thing. And he kind of mimics seppuku, you know? But, like, yeah, like, there's a knock on the door and there's a guy with a beer. He's like, oh, that's the beer I ordered. Okay, right. yeah. Well, downstairs, everybody's gone to bed. Upstairs, the guest is whittling on the plastic key fob for the room key. Next morning, he hasn't come down for breakfast. Shizue and Yuri are going to town. 
They've got to do some shopping. Apparently, they let her do the shopping because she likes it. It gives her something to do. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to sound sexist. Any of the chicks like shopping. I'm pretty sure the little girl likes going to <laughs> see the sights. You know, maybe get some ice cream or something. It's it's an excuse to get away from that fucking hellhole that they live at. You know. Yeah. Well, Masao and Terue decide they're going to go upstairs and wake the guest. Why not? It's for full service. They got continental breakfast. And they stuff. got breakfast waiting for him down there, but he hasn't come to get it. So they're going to go wake him up. They knock on the door, but he doesn't answer. So they <laughs> unlock the door and go in and we get another musical number because the guest has stabbed himself in the neck. With the sharpened key fob. All right, yeah. All right, so that first musical number where he's pining about, like, you know, being alone and stuff, the suicidal man, it's kind of soft and sweet, and it kind of makes sense. Like, it, it's like a slow, poetic thing, you know, they do in plays and shit when a person's alone. Right. They think his feelings and shit. This next musical number is like cop rock. It's they, totally that. It's backlit hair metal. Yeah, I mean, they bust out the guitars. Everybody's yelling and screaming. They're doing like really uh, high energy poses and shit. It's oh yeah, no, like it'll it just like slap you out of nowhere. It's hilarious. I like it. Uh, the overacting is wonderful. It's it's super super cheesy. Yeah, it's campy and it's supposed to be, and they do it really well. Like the makeup, like all the people look different. Their hair is different. Like their clothes are different. And the the lyrics are kind of confusing here. Uh, again, it's subtitled from Japanese, and so there's context that may not come through in the translation. But they're you know they're asking questions like, "Why did he carve up their room key and stab himself with that? He had a knife. Why didn't he just use the damn knife?" Yeah, I know that that <laughs> you know, like that, they're worried and scared, but at the same time, it's like it's funny. You know, like, I'm not used to that shit. And like, uh, like, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm, but this shit is like, I don't know. It's, it's on so many levels. Their, their performance really what sells it. Like, these people really did a good job. They did. They did. And, you know, we've, we've seen movies where people do stuff that doesn't make sense. And it's it's ignored. But here, somebody did something that doesn't make sense. And it becomes a plot point trying to figure out. Why the hell did he do that? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, they don't really care about the body. It's like, why is that? Like, that ties up to this dead body now. And, and it looks like murdered him. Right. And reading the subtitles, they're concerned about the will, which I guess probably means suicide. Yeah. That, yeah. I kind of like, because it's like, well, like, you want a suicide note to prove it. He, he like, it was no foul play or anything. Oh, 100%. You don't want. You don't want somebody to kill themselves in your hotel and it looked like you killed them. But at the same time, maybe they thought he might have left them some money, like killing themselves there because they really need money. But yeah, I think (laughs) thumbs up with that translation, but it's still funny and shit. It still sells. Right. They can't find his wallet anywhere. Masao thinks he sees an impression of something on a notepad. So he gets a pencil and he does that little thing where he does like a chalk. Yeah, tracing of it, and it's just a naughty picture. Yeah, it's a nude lady. That that guy like stenciled a nude lady, and then like popped his his balloon. He killed himself. (laughs) You think Um, it's 
like, oh, this is the key. This is will explain everything. And then, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll be in the clear. And then it's like, womp, womp. nah, this guy's a pervert. He killed himself. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they can't find the guy's wallet anywhere. So everybody turns to look at Masayuki. He's the criminal after all. Yeah. Um, he used to, uh, according to Masao, collect wallet. Like as a hobby? Or? Oh, oh. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. I think he collected other people's wallet. I got you. That might have been why he went. To... Well, Masao takes charge. They can't call the police. They have to hide this body. So they wrap it up in a tarp and they take it out by the lake to bury it. This is the same lake that Masao landed in when the swing broke. Yeah. And it's a super dramatic burial. But Masayuki wants nothing to do with it at all. In town, Shizue is singing about falling in love again. Again. And at the end of her song, a man in a Navy uniform walks by and she immediately falls in love with him. All right. Yeah. This guy. <laughs> kind of the reason that like, I really like wanted to push this movie. <laughs> he has some. And like, this is the weird thing. He has the greatest lines in the movie. He's the uh, worst character in the movie. He is, but he makes, he makes the movie like that. Like he, yeah, he really sells this movie. Yeah. If Bobby Lee was skinny, this guy would be him. I mean, he's got the same kind of quirky personality too. I don't know. To me, he just seems like some, like, I don't know, like 45, 50 year old man that like just is constantly conning people in a bar for free drinks. Right. Well, she follows this guy through the this little plaza where he gets a table and she sits down next to Yuri, who happens to be at a table that's in sight of the of the Navy officer eating ice cream, ice cream. And she's just staring a hole through the back of this guy's head and turns to Yuri and asks her if she would like to have a new daddy. <laughs> oh, my God. While she's talking to Yuri, a paper airplane comes flying over to her. Apparently, the Navy officer wrote a little message and sent it to her on a paper airplane. She opened it up, and it had a little crayon drawing with I love you written. Yeah, it's like a, like a kind of like a pinup girl crudely drawn in crayon with I love you. Because... Like, if a Navy officer is going to send a message to someone, it's going to be a crayon line drawing. <laughs> An airplane, paper airplane. Yeah. This sets up the big Bollywood style dance number. Oh, man. And this set is like really <laughs> like a little like garden with the fountain and shit. It's like a little courtyard mall. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a, I don't know, a cafe at the mall or something. But yeah, it's very yeah, sort of a bistro. But this place is full of couples in love. Yeah. <laughs> this is just way over the top dance number. Oh, man. Like there's that one part where like the, the Navy guy is like, I don't know, he's supposed to be running toward the chick. But you can clearly tell he's like getting pulled on roller skates or some shit. Yeah. Like yeah, they go crazy with the like like the cinematography and like all the uh and this is the first of the wire stunts too. Oh yeah, there's a lot of wire stuff in there. They like, go they start floating up in the air and confet the the windows in this place all blow out and turn into gold confetti. Yeah. They they spent a lot of money on this weird ass movie. Mike. Yeah. 
And the guy is just hanging limp from the wires at that point. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We have a Sleeping Beauty moment when she kisses him, which turns into a green screen dream sequence floating through flowers in space as <laughs> the spiritualist hikers fly by. Yeah. I mean, we've got the everything but the kitchen sink in this one. That's later in the movie. But yeah, I, love, <laughs> like, I hate it, but like they, for some reason, this, this movie really like turned me on. Like, well, the thing about this music, because I'm right there with you, I can't stand a musical. I hate musicals. But in this case, when the music starts, you know it's going to get super weird. And so it gives me something to look forward to. Yeah, it's like uh, they're kind of making fun of musicals, but at the same time, they're doing them justice. Oh, they're 100% making fun of musicals here. The tropes that they're using and the way that they use them is like just fucking awesome. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. Back to reality, and Shizue is lying on the floor, rolling around, dreaming, while everybody in this little bistro is standing around watching. They eventually yeah. get bored and walk off. She's like already had like, you know, her wedding with this guy and stuff. And it's like she's had all this shit in her head. And then he cuts back to reality. And yeah, she's just writhing around on the ground looking like an idiot. Yeah. Well, daughter's over there like eating ice cream. And this honk's like, man, dude, I got this chick like hooked. I don't know what the hell I did. But yeah. Yeah. So the Navy officer <laughs> wakes her up and the con begins. Yeah. He tells Shizue that he's in the U.S. Navy. <laughs> More precisely, he's in the British Royal Navy. I didn't know the U.S. had a British Royal Navy. Uh, the U.S. definitely has a British Royal Navy. We do? <laughs> it must be like Secret Service or something. I've never heard. And there's some weird choppy cuts in, in this, too. Uh, it's like he's jumping around, almost like a strobe light type motion. Yeah. They, they're really experimental with the cinematography in this movie. Yeah. They all the tricks. So he's in the British Royal Navy division of the U.S. Navy, and his father was Japanese. That's why he speaks such flawless Japanese. Yeah. Uh, they start flirting. Shizue tells the Navy officer that she's single, and the little girl says, because dad had an affair with a high school girl. This is when we find out that this U.S. British Royal Navy officer is also a British secret agent sent by order of the... So he is James Bond. He's James Bond in the U.S. Navy. Yes. That's cool, man. Yep. No wonder chicks like that guy. And because he's a secret agent, she should give him her telephone number. Of course. Well, you need to be debriefed or something. Exactly. You never know. Debrief. <laughs> <laughs> that comes later. Yeah, I know. Well, cell phones don't work where she lives, so she gave him a flyer for the bed and breakfast, and he mentions that his name is Richard Sagawa. <laughs> Richard! <laughs> later that night, Masao is looking at a model of the property that he has made. It's got the lake, and it's got the uh, built the the house and the little swing of course there's no road but he's built this model of the place and he's putting a little cross near the lake where they buried their very first guest yeah also that model of the house it's like it right there where they check people in 
that's like it's the same kind of clay and shit that's used in the clay stop motion thing. Yeah, it so is. It, yeah. It, that like it kind of like sets it up where it's like you know everybody got to put a little part in it. Like so they they use that as like a thing later on in the movie where they're like actually at the house. You know, it's kind of yeah. cool. Well, Masao sees the dead guest outside the patio door, and he suddenly wakes up. That was all a dream. Yeah, he's at he's at the uh, the kitchen table with like a bottle of whiskey or something. He's like, oh, and he starts having yeah. He's he's starting right. to get the night. So he goes to get a drink from the fridge, opens up the refrigerator. The dead guy's inside. <laughs> that was also a dream, and Masao wakes up in bed. False awakening, man. Yep, it was a dream in a dream. They do that shit so much in movies and stuff, but I kind of liked it in this one because they like the makeup and the way the guy like looked at him and stuff was really funny. The makeup is really, really good in this movie. Oh, yeah. It's like it's, it doesn't look realistic. It looks cartoony, but it looks awesome cartoony, you know? Yeah, it like, really does. It's hard to it's, artistically. It looks badass, but like, yeah, realistically, that would they wouldn't look like that. Right. Well, a few days later, Masao is standing by the road with a sign, but there hasn't been any traffic on this road for a long, long time. The The road is covered with, with leaves. Nobody's been through here. Yeah. Except I, for this weird sumo wrestler and his teenage girlfriend. Yeah. They first show that sumo guy, he looks like it's a horse. I thought it was a horse. <laughs> <laughs> with his little, his little man bun. Yeah, and he turns around and it's like, yeah, it's a giant the sumo guy with a very little girlfriend and yeah oh man that's like uh in her school uniform with her backpack well not like it's like a school uniform there's too much neon she looks like an animator okay yeah yeah you're right probably some kind of fetish thing going on i don't know but but yeah Um, they're totally opposite the opposite attract that this is like the definition of the shit yep Next, we cut to the Katakuri family sitting down to eat dinner. Grandpa Jinpei is stirring a big bowl of natto, which is uh, fermented soybeans. And they look awful slimy. I'd try them, but they look awful slimy. Yeah, I'm not trying. I'll, I'll wait for the burger. thing. <laughs> He's feeds some of the natto to the dog. Poochie. Yeah. And Grandpa makes a corny joke that really doesn't translate very well here. I don't think... I think most people would just miss it. Rough noodles? Yeah, the rough noodles. <laughs> I don't get it. Rough. Like, it's like dog bark. So rough, rough noodles. Okay. I don't get it either. Man. I don't get it. It doesn't translate very well. I think it's just an old man making a shitty joke. Could be that, too. Like, he's just trying to, like... Because, like, he's probably, like, you know, getting on in years. So, like, he says weird shit you know kind of maybe like uh pre-senile or something like this why are you saying shit like that grandpa it doesn't make any sense you know yeah well masao is still upset over the guests that died and the fact that they haven't had any other guests and he gets up from the table and there's a knock at the door it's the sumo wrestler and his young girlfriend yeah all right the next thing you see is like the the daughter showing the people the room right and then he like the girl's like oh my god look at you it's so beautiful and he just grabs her throws her on the bed and starts going at it like right they she's the way takes him up to the room and they immediately start banging yeah (laughs) this is so fucked up man (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sorry about these movies, Mike. <laughs> well, this is the kind of thing we made this podcast for. <laughs> yeah. Well, that night, Masao and Terue are talking on the patio. Masao thinks that Masayuki killed their guests. Yeah. It's like, we didn't find the wallet. You know, he's kind of a son of a bitch, even though he's our son, you know. Like, I don't trust him. Yeah. The yeah. whole time. She reminds him, he says, you know, when he got out of jail, you swore you wouldn't take him back into the house. And, and when he got out of jail, you were the first one there to meet him. Meanwhile, Masayuki is climbing up a ladder to perv on the sumo wrestler and his girlfriend. Yeah, they say something like, uh, oh, he's such, you know, a young and sweet soul and something like that. It's like he, he's too innocent. He, he wouldn't do uh, he wouldn't kill that guy. And like, as soon as you say he's too innocent, he grabs up, like, you cuts to him outside with a ladder, like, with, like, devil eyes. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to see this. Yeah. It's so messed up. Like, little stuff like that in the script is what I find so funny. <laughs> well, Masayuki gets up there and he's trying to position the ladder so he can see better. And he gets an eyeful and then the ladder just, well, tips over back when down he uh, goes. Yeah. That, that's that's a funny shot too when the thing falls backwards like <laughs> when he realizes what's about to happen because it, it's it's he it stays up like on two legs for a minute right before he's like oh shit yep it, it goes down real slow yeah <laughs> like that oh no <laughs> and yeah when he does fall the sumo wrestler makes an o face and has a heart attack and drops dead yeah <laughs> like at the same time so if you're counting we've had three guests and so far two of them are dead well the phone rings it's richard sagawa calling for shizue he's flying a fighter mission over afghanistan or he could be faking it in a crappy apartment he's he's probably faking it in a crappy apartment <laughs> <laughs> he's got fighter noises Play it on this tiny cassette player. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a cassette player that's got uh, sound effects on it, okay? Then he's yeah. got a tape of him yelling into the sky's voice at himself. Richard, get down. They're shooting at us. <laughs> then he's at this chick telling her, like, I love you, baby. Uh, I'm going to kill this whole platoon just so I can come back and see you. Uh, you know, don't tell nobody. I'm on a secret mission and shit. And she's just eating this shit up, man. She like, is. She is in heaven at this point. She's got a guy who is a hero who she just met and they're in love. But he's just like drunk in the city, like in his shitty apartment with like a bunch of tape recorders. Just right. making he's just playing the con. Yeah. Next, we see a cop on a bicycle that he can barely ride. Yeah. I don't know why cops have to be bumbling but this one is no different. He can barely ride this bicycle. I think it's like because they're way out there in the country. That this, this guy is like a, a cop from that country uh, village. Yeah. So, you know, movie goes, you know, the dictates that, of course, it's going to be a bumbling cop. Plus, that road he's on is like just covered in rocks and shit. It's the road that goes. It's not really. In That's true. It's more like a little path, like a dirt uh, gravel road that he's trying to ride a bike along. Yeah, and it's a really old piece of shit bike. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed at this point, between Richard Sagawa 
and this cop, why are all the uniforms in this movie way too big for the person who's wearing it? I think that's another thing just to like to give the to illustrate that that character is kind of goofy and has no credible like uh, authority or anything. It's just it's just a guy in a suit. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, you might have a big bad suit on, but you, it's, it's like too big for you. You look like a kid playing a cop, you know, it's. Exactly. Exactly. Anybody who's out of his element or supposed to be out of his element is going to be in clothes that don't fit properly. They just accentuate his uh, stupidness, you know. Hey, everybody. Mike McDonald here. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about our Patreon, where you can support this podcast for as little as $1 per episode. And when you make a pledge at any level, that money allows us to make donations to film schools all across the country. It's our way of giving a little something back to the great people who make the movies we enjoy so much. So go to patreon.com slash cdfpod and join at any level. No matter which level you choose, we think you're awesome for supporting the filmmakers of tomorrow. Patreon.com slash CDFpod. Well, Shizue takes breakfast upstairs and finds the dead sumo wrestler, and his girlfriend <laughs> is gone. Nowhere to be found. Yeah. <laughs> Shizue wants to call the police, but Masao stops her. They are in way too deep at this point to call the They're going to bury him just like they did the first guy. See, the daughter was in town when they found the first body. So she's kind of doesn't know what's going on so that's true this is her first induction into the murder plot or what or not the murder plot but the hiding of the dead body plot you know right so she's yeah she's kind of like i don't know like shocked you know like oh my god there's a dead body and everybody else is like yeah we know about dead bodies girl shut up calm down <laughs> well masayuki wants out at this point and he's he's got some great t-shirts oh in yeah this one this first one the words are printed backwards on it, and it says, "Yes, I'm here." One. I think that's like a like a jab at like uh, the way uh, American people wear like stuff with like uh, Japanese characters on it, and like have no Could clue. Be. You know? Because they Could do be. that. Like, I know you know, they... that in when I first became aware of that was in the I guess the mid 1980s. There was a preteen fashion line that was very popular in Japan called Milk. And I mean, that was, you could get these black leather shoes for girls. And one shoe said Milk and the other one said Girl. And for boys, one shoe said Milk and the other shoe said Boy. Just in big block letters across the top of the shoe. I, I think it's been, and I think there is still an element in Japan that will like, like we do in the States using Chinese characters for whatever they will use English words for whatever. Yeah. Some really, really hilarious too. If you got information on this, leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what's going on here. Help us out, Japan. What's up with them words? But Masayuki wants out of this whole thing. And while he and his dad are arguing, Grandpa Jinpei is busy measuring the window to make sure they can fit the sumo wrestler through it. He's, he's on it, boy. He's on it. He's wasting no time. We're going to get this guy out of here one way or another. So like that cop, he just needs him to fill out a form or something. Right. I think the- something with the road being built, finally. Well, first they try to roll the sumo wrestler off the bed. 
And that's when they find his girlfriend. He fell on top of her, smashed her into the bed, and suffocated her. So she's dead, oh, too. Yeah. Three yeah, no, guests, I, I, three of them dead now. Her mouth was still open. Yeah. It was, oh, man, it's fucked. this is a messed up movie, dude. <laughs> Downstairs, like you said, Officer Miyaki has shown up. He wants them to fill out some kind of form. I guess it's a, we're new in town, let us know who you are. Yeah, I'm for the records, I guess, but I don't know. So Shizue offers to fill out the form, but she also wants to come clean about the deaths. Yeah, she's, let's, uh, let's tell them, you know, let's do it. Yeah, but her mom stops and interrupts her and explains that she acts weird because she had a difficult birth. <laughs> This woman's like 28 years old, but I guess her mom's saying that she's a little not, she's a little special. Yeah, that's exactly what her mom's saying. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll let her fill out the form so she feels like a grown up, but don't believe anything she says because she's not all there. Yeah. And then he like shows them like a wanted poster of like people in town or some shit. Right. He's got a wanted poster. Um, it's got four wanted individuals, one of them, Richard Sagawa. Yeah. In she, his Navy uniform. Yeah, she totally doesn't see it because she's filling out the form, so she still doesn't know that guy's full of shit. Right. She totally misses it. The family sees it, but she misses it. Well, Officer Miyaki leaves, and they get back to the work of lowering the sumo wrestler out the window, trying not to drop him, trying to be very careful not to drop him until Grandpa Jinpei reminds him that this guy's already dead. It's okay. Yeah, it's fucking funny. <laughs> you think the dad's going to like totally fall out the window with him? And then you think, like... <laughs> Slowly trying to like struggle, like slowly lowering them down. And then, like the guy's about to fall out the window. And then, like, oh man, it's like down at the bottom. It's like, shit, he's dead. He's halfway down. You're not going to hurt him. Let him go. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. might splatter, but like, you know, I got I got the heart down. We're good to go. Yep. Well, when they come back exhausted from burying the bodies and they're, and they're walking down this road uh, with their shovels and towels around their neck, like some kind of. I don't know, some kind of... It kind of reminded me of, like, a Western. Like... Yeah. Kind of like when they're, like, uh, they're about to kill everybody at the OK Corral. It's kind of like that. They're all dirt. It's a very intense moment there, you know. You see these people, and they're all just... They're just beat down. They're wore out. Oh, yeah. And and covered with dirt. They're coming back, and they find a group of people waiting to stay at their bed and breakfast. And asking if they have cake. And normal people. Just normal folks. No sad guy covered in rain. Uh, no pervert sumo and his like girlfriend. No, just, like, just three like, normal, normal folks wanting right. to eat like, cake. No, it's like a group of five friends just out in the countryside for like the weekend. You know? Yeah. It's really yeah. Cool. All they want is cake. And so everybody's happy. We've kindly got some some normal guests. We are good to go. Everybody's smiling, morale's up. It's kind of cool. It's like, this is actually, you know, we're doing this. This is something, you know? Yep. And you know, they show them in the, in the kitchen, cutting cake for these folks. Uh, she's always sitting at the table talking with them. Grandpa Jinpei's sticking his finger in somebody's frosting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody who's worked at a pizza place and was cutting a pizza. 
and took a pepperoni off that pizza to snack on it. Yeah, that, that tub of bacon. I, I, I've i never seen that happen, so it probably doesn't ever happen in real life. I've, I've heard of it in passing. But... <laughs> we get another musical number here. So yeah, everybody's is... real happy. Yeah. And Masao starts singing about how they started here and, and when they arrived. And we get a shot of Mount Fuji looking like it's going to erupt. Now, Mount Fuji is an active volcano still, but it hasn't erupted in 315 years. Yeah. But it's a very prominent part of Japanese culture and appears just about everywhere. It's it's used about in the same way that Americans use Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's like a sleeping giant. Yeah, it just kind of burps there at the end of that musical number after everybody kind of like gets on the same page and like they do like a little victory thing. It's like, yeah, we're a family. We can do this. And then uh, the grandfather laughs, you know, at the end of the song. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, you just see under the distance, like a little boop. And like, yep, a little puff of smoke coming up from the top of Mount Fuji. A little burp. Well, Masao gets a phone call telling him that construction on the road is about to begin. Oh, sweet. More good news, right? Right. More good news. Except the road is going right by the lake. You know, where where they buried the dead people. Oh, man. Ah, shit. So now they've got to move all these bodies because they don't want the construction company to find them when they go bulldoze through there and dig up the bodies. Because that'll look really bad. <laughs> it won't look good. No, it looked like a disaster <laughs> at that point because I mean, it's like three people. I'm surprised there's like no missing person report or something. Well, I mean, it's been like a week, so yeah. I don't know. I think the the people that like die is like they're like people people wouldn't care about. I think you're right. I think the sumo wrestler may not have been very successful, or if he was. He wouldn't want to get caught having sex with this girl. Right. And their first guest, he had lost pretty much everything anyway. Um, Probably not anybody looking for him. Yeah, he was suicidal. He had no, I mean, he was drawing like, you know, naked pictures of girls and stuff. So yeah, he was, he was far gone. Uh, So it's like, yeah, everybody so far that's died in this place is kind of like, I don't know, lost souls or something. Right. But when you find a bunch of dead people in the woods, people are going to start asking questions. There, that's true. And, and, you know, we can't afford for them to be asking questions. I mean, yeah, we could have made this right to begin with, but we already didn't do that. So, and, yeah, we got to cover our butts here. Yep. Next, we see Richard Sagawa walking through the woods. He stops to wash his face in the lake water. But he doesn't notice all the dead animals lying around in that water. This is the same lake that Masao fell off the swing into. Yeah. But, like, he looks like shit. Like, he's still wearing that fucking white suit, you know? And it's got, like, (laughs) mud and shit stains. All kinds of weird stains. He looks like shit. Uh, he's been walking because you know he don't have a car or bike or anything. So he's right, from- but why he's been staggering through the woods, I have no clue at all. I mean, there was a trail that the hikers used to get up there. Why doesn't he take that? I, I, I maybe thought it was a shortcut, but yeah, he doesn't just wash his face. He drinks fully, right, of that water, and then it cuts back to that uh singer singing that weird song, "Dim Bone." It does. As it shows, like, that dead goat 
and like all these dead fish in this water that he just stuck his face in and drank heavily from. And it- well, remember that this lake, along with their bed and breakfast, is built on a landfill, so it's probably toxic. Oh, yes, yeah, extremely toxic. <laughs> yeah. Well, Richard shows up at the bed and breakfast and walks in the door. Shizue is on the phone with a prospective guest, and she hangs up on him because Richard. Yeah, when Richard comes to the place, like there's the regular guest, like the normal guest that the, they just they just got, and he right. kind of like waves at them, and they're like looking at him, it's like, "What the fuck am we? What am I looking at? What is this?" And then yeah, he sheepishly gets in the door because he's still out of breath, and. He, she she of course sees him and yeah she goes into like uh soap opera mode like she's just holding the phone with like her hand over the receiver and he's feeding her all kinds of bullshit it's it's pretty bad she offers him a drink or something to eat and he exclaims very loudly that he wants to eat her and but that causes her to pass out he does it. he goes up the stairs and like he does like this elvis thing where he puts his leg up on the railing and like tries to be all sexy and points right at her like uh like Uncle Sam. Yes. He's like, I want to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> and she's out. Yeah. Well, up in his room, Richard steals an ashtray because why not? Because he's a bastard. That's why. And then he nearly craps his pants. Cause like you said, he drank some of that bad lake water. Oh man, and th- those like bark uh I don't know, gargling fart sound <laughs> it's yeah that, that his inside dying it's yeah indigestion. i mean it, it's serious bubble farts <laughs> it sounds like i don't know like a coffee maker with molasses in it <laughs> it's really and you feel his pain but he's kind of an asshole so you know you know you're rooting for him to like get hurt so i mean he nearly craps his pants but instead of running to the toilet he just falls on the bed then he rolls off the bed and finds the first guest lost wallet. He kind of oh, falls yeah. down behind the be- between the bed and the wall and yeah. finds the guest lost wallet. Like, I don't know, like 2,000 bucks or something in there. It has 2,212 yen, about $25. Oh, shit. Yeah, not a bad I score. It, well, I thought it was a way better score, but like, yeah, $25. Yeah, that's, that, what, that's, like, that's like a cheeseburger over there or something. That's a cheeseburger here, I guess. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Twenty five dollars will get you the burger and the fries and a drink. Okay, so free <laughs> meal, not bad. Well, that night Shizue is out on the swing. Apparently, it's been repaired, and Richard joins her. Grandpa Jinpei is very suspicious of this guy, so he's kind of stalking. Yeah, they, they they try to go to like this like romantical like thing, but like the whole time the old man's like over in the like he's staring out the window or he's over in the bushes. It's like I don't trust this guy. I'm not sure if he actually remembers the guy from the poster being that guy. That's all I can assume is or that he recognizes him from the poster. He's just like he's an old man put up with like that bullshit, you know, and he totally sees this guy's bullshit. Yeah. It's it's one of a few things here. It's either he recognizes him from the poster or he just recognizes him as a bullshit artist and doesn't want anything to do with him or he's looking out for his granddaughter. Yeah. And it may be a combination of all three. I'm pretty sure it is though, but yeah, you you know no he's he knows. Yeah. 
Well, Masao and Terue are talking about moving the marking the graves where they buried the dead guests, but they're already having trouble remembering where they buried these people. Yeah. Which brings like, us to the next musical number. Oh man. And it's a sing along. It's karaoke time. Man, all right, yeah, this is yeah, okay. So like there's yeah, everybody I mean, if not heard of or maybe or not seen, at least heard of like karaoke music videos where it's got like the words that pop up, you know, and like they usually have some kind of weird animation going in the background. Like a polar bear singing or some some weird wild like the American equivalent is like a bowling alley when you make a strike and you see that <laughs> that's the same thing you got going on here, but like way higher production value because it's like they go all out. It, it's like a real like soap opery. You remember the Sonny and Cher show back from, back in the seventies? Yes, yeah, seen some. Of them. That's what this reminded me of. Yeah, it's like a cute couples concert. It was like, like a 60s or 70s variety show. You know, we've got the the lights shining right at the camera that gives us that nice X uh, lens flare. Uh, the um, chick in her hair. The guy's got makeup on. Everything's like really soft uh, lens like effects. Right. I liked it. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. I kind of liked that, that song. It man. wasn't bad. It was it was it was very nostalgic for it illustrates <laughs> love that this couple has for each other. And like, right all the through is like, this is why we're doing it. And if you thought for a second that this was just a crappy movie, this should set it straight that it's deliberate cheese. This, yeah. No. This is, this is somebody who knows how to make movies. And I'm telling one great big dad joke right now. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, we've got the 70s variety show sing-along, lots of lens flare, and pictures of a young Masao and Terue working in the shoe department. Shizue and Richard are out in the landfill now, where there's a kind of a cockeyed Coca-Cola park bench. <laughs> Richard's spinning BS about the royal family. Apparently, his mother is the unacknowledged half-sister to the queen. Yeah. He always calls her like Auntie Elizabeth or something. Like he's like on first like name over first name basis with the Queen of England, and uh, right. he's her favorite nephew. And he like you know gets sent on all these special missions. <laughs> well, Grandpa Jinpei is spying on them. Richard says that his father wanted to be a painter, but he had to become a doctor like his like his father was. Richard also wanted to be a painter, but Queen Elizabeth objected and made him join the U.S. Navy, <laughs> British Royal Navy Division, British Secret Service. I mean, like, I understand, like, y'all know, she's like a lonely uh, single mother. You know? <laughs> and like, you know, dating scene must be hard out in the middle of nowhere and shit. But come on, lady. At some point, you have to acknowledge bullshit. That's all he is. He's not even like a good con man. He's just like a... a like one of those guys just lies constantly and then he found some chick to eat, to eat that shit up. Yeah, and she is lapping it up like banana pudding. <laughs> banana pudding. I don't know. <laughs> that makes every line that this guy delivered that much more hilarious. It's it's awful. So we get another song here. This is a song of devotion to Shizue, but Grandpa Jinpei sees through him. Wind blows the trash around as Richard floats through the air. Another wire trick. 
we get a master roshi moment here wherein um richard gets up close to shizue and his nose is bleeding because all the blood is rushing to his wiener oh man yeah that line is so fucking funny that's that's what i'm talking about like that line and stuff it's like they're gonna go with that like that stupid you know like boner joke but like the, <laughs> the way he says it makes it sound like i don't know some kind of like really great importance it's like nah man just uh i, I can't explain it. you'd have to see it yeah and, and you know we we can't have a movie on our podcast without a wiener joke apparently it is a rule yeah <laughs> i think laser blast is like the only one that didn't have a, like a dick joke in it i mean i don't mind they're funny they are funny <laughs> It's been a long time since we talked about a movie that didn't have a wiener joke in it. I'll, I'll do better. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just need to find them all. That's all that we have to do. <laughs> well, that's enough for Grandpa Jinpei, and he knocks Richard over the head with a piece of firewood. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, he hits him so hard, he shits his pants. <laughs> that bubbling, gurgling sound like did a double oomph and when stuff when he gets knocked in the head with that wood. Well, Richard backflips away and the ashtray falls out of his pocket. Grandpa Jinpei sees that he stole their ashtray and now he's really pissed. Yep, it, it, it checks out. Everything's confirmed. This guy's a piece of shit. Richard's grabbed a rock and he's coming after Grandpa Jinpei. Grandpa Jinpei decides the best strategy at this point is to grovel and beg for mercy. Yeah, it's not like no way he's going to kill a, like an old man over an ashtray, right? Surely not. But Shizue's not going to take any chances, and she does a hi-ya and kicks Richard in the back. Richard and Grandpa go rolling off the cliff, and we have another claymation sequence. It's like she spin-kicks them, and they, they immediately tumble into claymation. It's really weird how they did that transition. It worked out. I liked it. I mean, yeah. we knew that we were going to see some stuff that would be impossible to film with people. Yeah, uh, especially like an old guy. A couple old guys. I'm not going to lie. This Richard guy is like, you know, he's old. Yeah, he's like 40-something years old. And uh, the grandpa is like... Grandpa's in his 70s or 80s, maybe. They look like they're in five years of each other, though. <laughs> That's how old this Richard dude looks. Yeah, when like, Richard hacked up his hacked off his hair, I mean, even with the long hair that was looked obviously like a wig, it looked like yeah. a really bad wig. Richard definitely looked much older. He looked like somebody who did not make a casting call for the Hawaii Five O reboot. <laughs> but like, yeah, they they turn the claymation figures. They go off a cliff, and they both of them grab onto a, like a root. Yeah, a they're hanging by a root there. And Shizue is standing up at the top of the cliff. She knows she has to do something to save her grandfather. She knows now that Richard is not a good guy. But she doesn't want to actively do anything to stop him. So she's just kind of nudging this rock with her toe. And oops, it slipped. And the rock goes over the edge and beans Richard in the head. And he lets go and falls to his death in the river below. Yeah, it's all Wiley Coyote style. You just see his claymation body slowly go down. And like they should throw in like a goofy yell right there that woo hoo hoo. I like that thing. <laughs> That's how that shit was. Next, we see Masao, Grandpa Jinpei, and Masayuki coming back from burying more bodies. 
they've been moving the bodies of the people they buried previously. Yeah, they got like a big, they were like burying them one at a time, but now they got like a big dead body pit way away from like where they're going to be uh, construction that. Right. They're building a big mass grave. Shizue is hearing a story of why Terue fell in love with Masao. Turns out the first night he slept over at her place, he woke up early and polished all of her shoes with his underwear. Man, what the fuck, Japan? That's I, I what get... it takes to get a girl, I guess. If you're ever, if you're ever uh, trying to court a Japanese girl, make sure you polish your shoes with your drawers. That's I'm what saying. it takes. Yeah, different strokes for different folks. But yeah, you don't want your mom telling you this story while you <laughs> dead people at your estate. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> well, they joke about how easy it would be to kill Masao because he trusts her completely and he'll eat anything she cooks. Terue says, yeah, yeah, he'd be real easy to kill. <laughs> And it's at this point that a bloody and battered Richard stumbles into the hotel. Oh, man, it's like dramatic as shit when he comes in, too, because, like, they're just sitting there talking, right? And all of a sudden, the door opens, and, like, a gust of wind, and, like, a shitload of leaves fly in. And of course, right. he's a big bloody mess with, like, a big, like, swollen eye and crap. Great big cut on his face. The special effects makeup on this one was, was pretty good. Um, it could have been a little bloodier if they were going for realism, but obviously yeah. they weren't. Um, he just needed to look really tore up and, and it looks good. Yeah. But he like falls to the ground and grabs the telephone. I don't know who the hell he's trying to call. Well, he dials one, one, nine, which is in Japan. One, one, nine will get you the fire department and ambulance. If you want police, you have to dial one, one, zero. Uh, so he's trying to save his own ass. He's, he's trying to get like medical attention. Right. Oh, the emergency operator comes on the phone, but instead of asking for help or explaining what's going on, he just starts apologizing to all of these women. None <laughs> of them are the woman that's right in front of him. Yeah. Like I screwed. I'm sorry. I screwed all over all these ladies and stole from them and conned them. But nah, screw this lady. This one right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. he's apologizing to a long string of women and then he just drops dead yeah we see masayuki again he's in a new shirt this time oh wait they found the wallet on that dead guy not yet not yet no we're wait. about to masayuki shows up he's got a t-shirt that says there is a risk of losing your way in life oh yeah Grandpa Jinpei is going through Richard's pockets and he finds napkins from a hookup club at the train station, along with the wallet from the first guest. That's right. And he sees like inside the jacket that that colonel thing is like a, from a prop department. It's movie. from a costume rental. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh man. Stolen Valor asshole. <laughs> Yeah, it's the, the Navy uniform is from a costume rental company. Um, so when they find the first guest wallet, this is when Masao finally realizes that his son didn't kill the guy. He's believed all this time that his son killed this guy. Yeah, and it's, it's cursed a family and put him on this road of ruin like type thing. And it's like, right. ah, 
you know, he's got to he's got to come to terms with his son now. They've got to reconcile. Meanwhile, somebody calls Officer Miyaki to report that a dead body has been found. Back right. at back at the guest house, we see a news report that a typhoon is coming. There's a typhoon every few days in this part of Japan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like this family hurt. Definitely Kurt. Like the rest of Japan is probably fine. Just this one spot at the bottom, like Mount Fuji, is like just yeah. I mean, I'm sure that typhoon season in Japan is just like you know hurricane season in Florida, but in this little girl's mind, in this little four year old uh, imagination, uh, typhoons come every few days or every hour. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a typhoon coming. And there's a knock at the door. Oh, man. We have more guests in a storm. Oh, it man. is a family of four. A man and his wife and their two kids. Very, very creepy Adams family style family here. They look really sick and sad and depressing. At the same time, they're annoying as shit and you just want them to die. Right. And the boy... The boy is coughing. He's got a cold, obviously. The the father and mother are just, they're just beat down, it looks like. And the, the daughter is constantly playing a recording, or a recorder. Yeah, always and, playing that recorder. Man, and also, I, I couldn't stop laughing because he's playing, like, swing low. <laughs> and, like, just that, like solemn like little really also annoying pitch of the recorder and that little boy coughing is like man i can't wait for this family to die well they've got he, plenty of rooms here and they offer to put the kids in one room and the adults in another room says no we just want your cheapest room and, and they probably wouldn't even have charged them for the room given the fact that they were out in a monsoon walking no we just we just want the cheapest thing you got yeah also do you have some very strong rope? <laughs> yeah, they do that thing where they get to the top of the stairs and look back down at the family. And they're like, yeah, can, can we have like the strongest rope imaginable? And what do you think? It's like, oh, they're going to hang them. Well, Grandpa Jinpei, he pantomimes tying the rope around his neck and said, strong, strong cord? Yes, I need some strong cord. <laughs> so, yeah, they're definitely going to go up to the room and hang the whole family. Oh, man. <laughs> well, as they head up to the room, Grandpa Jinpei tells them they need to prepare for the worst. Yeah, they're like, yeah, this, this these people are just are just fine at trying to find a place to die. Yeah, yeah. Well, after the storm passes, uh, Jinpei, Masayuki, and Masao are out in the woods digging another grave to get ready for this family because there's four of them. We need a big grave to. They don't know that they're dead yet. They're preparing for the worst. Yeah, I mean, it's like they've already had to dig like three graves, then they had to dig another grave to move the bodies. So now it's like just save yourself the trouble, dig a massive pit. Right. So they're they're working on this pit. They're digging this pit, and well, the creepy family just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, he's like slowly hear that recorder being played, getting closer, and then coughing, and then like they look around, and there they are staring at them digging. There they are. And look, just as sad as ever. Probably they just wanted sad. to say thank you. Yeah. Oh, and that strong cord, that was to make a belt for the little boy to hold his pants up. 
Oh, why are you digging that pit? And it's, oh, it's it's uh, it's for putting the garbage in. Yeah, don't you see all this garbage, lady? And they're like, oh, okay. And yeah. they just start walking. And off. they just walk off. The little girl playing her recorder. They leave, and then a guy wearing a suit and holding a bouquet comes crashing through the woods and falls face first into the pit they just dug. It's, this shocks the hell out of uh, Grandpa and the son. Yeah. He's not moving, so Grandpa throws a rock at him. <laughs> he still hey. doesn't move, so Grandpa starts shoveling dirt over. <laughs> and I love that, that. That wakes him up. The grandson's <laughs> like, what are you doing him for? It's like, well, uh, uh, he's in the hole. We got the hole. We got the hole. Yeah. He's in the hole. It's time to fill the hole. <laughs> yeah. Like the kid gets in there and gets him out and stuff. He's, but he, yeah, he hit his head pretty hard. He's out. Yeah. Then we get another shot of, we get a shot of the earth shaking and trees falling over. And little Yuri is poking through the mud and trash with a stick. Yeah. Uh, she's waxing philosophically about life. Yeah. While she's. And- poking around in some sort of toxic sludge runoff. And there's a bunch of bunch of barrels around there and stuff. There's no telling what's in that mud. I mean, we we are witnessing the birth of a trauma character here. This is Japanese Toxic Avenger in progress. Oh man, you remember when Toxic Avenger went like he went to Japan? I haven't seen any of those movies. Oh crap. Oh they, spoilers, he did that part three. I think hey, we hey, saw a bit of that in Uncle Peckerhead. Yeah. Oh no, that was uh, that was part two. That's where the uh, mafia comes to his house, obliterates it. Got a movie problem. Yeah, we might have to add some more trauma in there, just because <laughs> trauma's fun. It, it's fun. It's loose. It's you know, the hell is crappy. That's the charm of it. You know. Well, yeah, Yuri's uh, getting all philosophical. The dog runs off into the trees, and Yuri finds dead bodies. Of so, yeah. their previous guests. Apparently, the earthquake uncovered them all. Yeah. And, like, uh, you get a quick s- snippet of cops racing to the scene or to the apartment or to the hotel. Now, they're going somewhere. Not sure exactly where they're going, but they let us assume they're going to the hotel. But, yeah, this is the part where, like, the kid's innocence is, like, completely taken away. And then she finds out what her family's been doing. But and we get I- a song and dance here. To teach Yuri the power of positivity with a zombie corpse choir. This is my favorite part. <laughs> it's it's like a funky zombie breakdown, and it's about being positive. Imagine, imagine if Barney the dinosaur had zombie backup singers. Yeah, it's like if Barney the dinosaur and Thriller got put in a blender. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Dancing, man. They're singing and dancing. It's so it's so weird. I, I you got to watch this movie. I can't explain how weird this whole damn thing. Is. And then that when the song ends, you know they're over there in the pile of trash again. Yeah. Oh man. Just got to remember that this is all taking place in the mind of a preschooler. Yeah. Just watch the movie, man. Stop. <laughs> watch it. It's, please, bro. It's, so good it's like i didn't think i was gonna like this movie but like you know about the first murder i'm sold now they, they do the cop rock thing yeah this i have fuck. to admit that i started watching this and then stopped and then i had to go back to it a couple of weeks later and just decide i was going to watch it 
And by the time we got past that first song and dance number, the cop rock number that you're talking about, I, I was in. By the time you get to the zombie part, you want to tell everybody about this. <laughs> not not because it's like, you know, I mean, I want I want everybody to see it because I think it's like awesome. But like most people would be telling people about the movie just because they don't want to seem crazy and they want other people to see it. So they don't like, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not crazy. Please watch this movie because I, if you don't see it, then that means there's probably something wrong with me. And I imagined it. So it's like a confirmation. It's like, did you see that crazy shit? Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> the only thing that would have made this scene any better was a Power Rangers cameo. Oh, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, dinosaur, dinosaurs in this movie, they'd oh, probably play in the theater. Too. I don't know. Yeah. But like after that musical number, it cuts to that guy that fell into the grave. The yep. one with the bouquet. He wakes up in bed with his bouquet. Not much clothes, but he's got his bouquet. And he freaks out. And we see the police on their way to the bed and breakfast also. So the guy gets dressed and he runs out to see the family coming back from burying bodies again. <laughs> they, they look tired again. They're all covered in mud and shit. And they just <laughs> look defeated. <laughs> Terry steps forward and she says, good morning. And the yeah, guy yells, good morning. And then yeah. runs away. <laughs> <laughs> runs away and climbs he just came out of the door of the bed and breakfast but he's going back in through the window yeah i love that like that they're all proper and it's like hello good morning they bow and stuff he's like he bows back and just yells morning and takes the hell off and he's like shit shit, <laughs> shit 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 and the police arrive the categories believe the police are coming for them about their previous dead guests but we're not sure Inside the bed and breakfast, the crazy guy got a knife. He thinks the police are coming for him. And we get more tremors from the earthquake. Yeah. Like the whole time. Like, yeah. Something's like, going to happen. That's, yeah. I mean, you can't have this much build up with the tremors and the earthquake and the little poof of smoke from the volcano. It's getting worse and worse every time we see it. We can't have all of this and nothing happens. Something's going to happen big here. Oh, yeah. Well, they argue over it and Masao is going to surrender himself to the police. But Grandpa Jinpei says, no, nope, nope. I've lived a full life. The best thing I can do is let you all remember me as, as having a wonderful life and giving myself up for the good of the family. Yeah, so he's going to give himself in. Masa Masayuki thinks he should be the one to turn himself in, probably because he's a better dancer. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's like the, it's the thing like, you know, the grandfather's going to sacrifice himself. Then the younger one is like, nah, I can let him do that. It's been his last years. I'm young. I can get out of prison. I'll still, you know, have some semblance of youth or something. You know, I can still live, you know, a happy life and shit. I don't want my grandfather to die in prison. So that little, like, tiff and this is like all while the cops are coming down the driveway that yeah they're having a little mini dance battle while the police yeah. are coming up the driveway it couldn't it, it's, it's just the dance off now it's like it's no longer like a little like side <laughs> they're dancing in the fucking yard like it <laughs> all kinds of like you know classical musical things right it, it's awesome well finally Grandpa Jinpei is going to surrender himself and he just walks up to the police and 
crosses his wrists and sticks them out. Officer Miyaki says they're there to investigate a murder, and they walk right past him. Yeah. Once- they walk up to Masao and Terue and ask if they've had any suspicious guests. Meanwhile, Grandpa just collapses on the side of the road. Yeah, that collapse is so fucking funny. <laughs> like- he's just down until he hears another crow fly over, and then he's at it with the firewood again, and he nails another crow. That slow whirl, 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 whack. He is a dead eye with that firewood, and he's always got firewood with him, no matter where he is. Yeah, because like in that musical number, like he has one in his hand, it's like sitting on top of that uh, playground equipment. Yeah, and he's like, like a, I don't know, a prop. Like, yeah, he's always got wood with him. <laughs> yeah, most grandpas have got hard candies in their pocket. Grandpa Jinpei, he's got firewood in his pocket. Well, no, like I remember my great grandfather used to whittle like all the damn time. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Culturally and stuff. Yeah, that part where he just falls over, he's like, oh man, I'm not. <laughs> like, just falls on his side and kind of like laughs. He did it earlier too when they're uh, getting the samurai guy out. He kind of like falls to the side and laughs right yeah. his, I think it's the ground. I love that old man. He's a good actor. He is good. I like him. He's my favorite character out of the entire thing. Hell yeah. Well, the crazy guest comes out with a knife and he's holding Teroe hostage. This guy killed his wife at another guest house. Masao tries to talk him down and offers to be a hostage instead if he'll just let Teruei go. Yeah, it gets really like kind of like serious right there. It gets very emotional here and super intense. Yeah, I got I got a little like misty eyed. <laughs> like he, this dude really loves his family. He loves his wife. The whole reason why he got this whole damn guest house thing was to like make their lives easier, you know? Right. You know, they've just been cursed, like, the entire time. And this is, like, I don't know. They've been through some shit. And, like, yeah, he gets, he gets, everybody gets emotional in this scene. Even the cops. Right. The right. cops are shocked. You know, it's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Well, it works. The the guy agrees to it. He lets Teruei go. And the police lead her away. Masao turns around to thank the crazy guy who charges at him with the knife. Masayuki jumps in the way and ends up getting stabbed. Yeah, he sacrifices himself like he was going to do for his grandfather. He sacrifices himself to save his dad. Right. Gets it right in the stomach. Well, the police take down the crazy guy. Yeah. And Masayuki is saying his goodbyes to everybody before he dies. In, In a full number. Masao notices something a little suspicious. While Masayuki's saying his goodbyes, Masao lifts up his shirt and sees it was barely just a scratch. Yeah, it just scratched. Just like, a little of, bit. But what's so funny about that is they start to go into a musical number and it's like, it gets like all like overly dramatic and shit. And then like the dad's like, wait a second, man, it's like a, like a two inch scratch on your stomach. And Masayuki, who was dying just a moment ago and saying his goodbyes is, oh, there's a scratch. Oh, okay. Yeah, he gets up. He's really he gets up. He's real super awkward. <laughs> yeah. <he's laughs> like everybody's looking at him. He's like, what? He was for- Get off the ground. You know? <laughs> he kind of blushes a little bit and he straightens his shirt up. And like, that was it. He's yeah. like, ah, I'm not And then you. Mount Fuji finally erupts. As oh, the crazy yeah. guy runs from the police. 
We cut to another claymation sequence here as lava, mud from the volcano, mud and ash is washing everything away. See, yeah, uh, that, that freaks me out because when the volcano explodes, it's not like, I think, lava and shit, you know? But when but it looks like the stuff from like our last, or was it like two episodes ago? It, it looks just, just a bunch of white foam coming down the, the hillside. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are some volcanoes that erupt, erupt with lava. When Mount St. Helens blew, that was ash. Some of them are just, you know, mud and water. And, and I'm not sure. I'm not a volcano expert here. I did have a Scholastic Book Club book about volcanoes when I was in the third grade. So I guess that's close enough. <laughs> it works for me, man. But, I mean, the, the mudslide from the volcano is headed right for the guest house. But if the family all just holds hands and loves each other enough, they'll all be safe and they're able to lift their house up over the mud as it's being washed away. We do get to see the dog log surfing through the whole thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, that whole, this whole end part where it goes back into the claymation is like the trippiest crap I've ever seen. Right. The dog is surfing on a log and Masao hangs upside down from a tree branch somewhere to save him. Yeah. He's washing away their house, but not this tree that he's hanging on. It's okay. Also, Grandpa looks creepy as hell. <laughs> you, yeah. you never get like any kind of like point of reference of what you're looking at or what, what I mean, it's just a, a jumble of crap. I mean, you kind of tell what's going on. You see what, what's in front of you, but you don't know what direction it's going, what's really happening. It's just weird. Well, when it's all over, we get our epilogue moment. Everybody is gathered around Masao, who is lying unconscious on the ground. Yeah. When he wakes up, they're in a green pasture. The dog survived. The house is intact and was pushed into this meadow on a mudslide. And the house is sitting up on top of the mudslide like a little kid would draw it. To me, it looks like they landed in uh the alps or something it kind of reminds me of what's that other musical like uh the sound, sound of music yeah and i think it's because it's a musical that's and they're in the field they just remind me of that like uh, that movie maybe yeah, they're kinda, they're this whole thing this whole thing is a little kid's uh, refrigerator drawing because you know there's the mudslide coming down the mountain with the house sitting on top of it there's the family all lined up there together and that's when they notice there are also elephants and giraffes and zebras. Yes, it's a bunch of African animals in the Alps. The <laughs> only thing that's missing here is a big yellow sunshine with a smiley face on it. See, they, they, did, they did the next best thing. They had a rainbow. There like a you huge go. Rainbow. Huge rainbow. Yep. Yeah. So we get one more song and dance here. And the police are doing background vocals with the crazy guest. The murderous, murderer guest, they're all buried in the side of the mudslide. Yeah, the only thing sticking out is like their hands and their heads. And yep. they're sync and like dancing in, in, in sync with each other. It's, it's yeah. This Do is, you this remember bit. the video for that Huey Lewis and the News song, Doing It All For My Baby, where they were all heads in jars? No, man. This is what it reminded me of. I mean, I've seen stuff like that, but I, I got to check that out. I want <laughs> it's like some Futurama stuff right there, man. Yeah, it is. I, that may be where the idea came from. Probably. He was on that show. Well, the next year, we're told Grandpa Jinpei dropped dead. 
yeah, at the end of the musical number, it freeze frames on his face and he laughs. And then, yeah, it's like, hey, uh, next year, our grandfather died. Yep. And he's just standing there looking down. It's a very philosophical, something philosophical is said next, followed by Grandpa Jinpei turning into a rocket ghost and shooting up into the sky. Well, yeah, he. it's all sad and shit. Everybody's sad and solemn-faced. And then the little girl looks at her grandfather and she smiles. And she's like missing teeth and it's so cute. Yeah. He he starts blowing and like turns into a rocket ship like an angel and just shoots off to heaven. And roll credits. Roll credits. That was a fun movie. It was. I really it enjoyed that. I I don't like reading movies as a as a rule, but yeah. this one was worth the effort. When I was a teenager, I got addicted to those blind samurai movies. I'm used to like uh, a lot of subtitles, and plus, like the younger kids and stuff with the anime and stuff, they're they're into it. So. I hope a lot of people see this. I'm pretty sure a lot of people already have. And it's been on it's been on Tubi since like I've downloaded it. Yeah, like, this movie's twenty years old. It's been around for a while. I'm not sure about the budget on this one or or what it grossed. I don't think I'm pretty sure there was no US release, so we don't have any kind of box office numbers for it. Yeah. It does have a sixty nine percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes though. See? Yeah. It's it's great. It's just you have to put a little bit of effort to watch this. It's not like it, it is like a movie that you want to show to your friends, like have them over, maybe like a fancy dinner party and show this weird shit. Uh, but yeah, it's not something you just like put on and like like just kind of drift off to. It's like no, this movie requires some effort, and I don't know if I about replay value, but yeah, it was worth the watch. I I had fun watching it. Yeah. It's it's like Pink Flamingos. You got to see it once just to know what the hell your weird friends are talking about. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, All right, man. That's a podcast. Oh, yeah, man. I love that. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDF Pod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.